right, for our first psalm, it's our first song tonight, turn to your, in your Bibles, to Psalm 19. And our pianist is going to play one time through it. It's psalm 19, verse 14. Psalm 19, 14. We think she's going to play through it. Okay. than the way I remember hearing it in my memory. And I don't have the written music here, so we can do that again. All right. Well, maybe we should do it when we know it better. Yeah. Let's take our hymnals and turn to 295 because we know that tune. 295. 295. Brother Joshua, does your church have a book? Of all the scripture songs that you do? Yes, we do. It's a, it's a rearing binder. Yeah. We'd like to get a copy of that. Every Sunday school, is it? Yes. They, all the church, before all the classes split up, their church has several scripture songs. And it's, um, it's a blessing. Many times people think those are for the children, but that's what everyone needs. Mm -hmm. 295, He Leadeth Me. Let's sing all four stanzas.
your Bibles to Psalm 4. Psalm 4, every opportunity, and I get to preach for you as a privilege to me. So thank you for, thank you for that. <clears throat> Psalm number 4. If there's a title for this message, it will be simply this. Hear me when I call. Hear me when I call. Psalm 4. Psalm 4, the Psalm of David. <clears throat> Psalm 4. <clears throat> Hear me when I call. Let's look at verse 1. <clears throat> Psalm 4, verse 1. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me, and hear my prayer. Verse 1 begins with the plea, hear me. And verse 1 ends with the plea, hear my prayer. And I want to talk to you for just a little while tonight, mostly about verse 1, but we'll probably look at verses uh, 2 through 8. But we're going to focus most of our attention tonight on verse number 1. Hear me when I call. Our Father, we thank you that you are the God of our righteousness. And in Christ, because of Christ, we are righteous in your sight. We thank you for that. And I pray that as we open the word tonight, that you would open our eyes to see the truth that you have hidden for us. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing. The honor of kings is to search out a matter. And I pray you'd help us to search out the truth that's in your word. You will guide us into all truth. May your Holy Spirit do that and glorify Christ in us as we take in the truth of the word and live it out. Thank you for hearing us. Thank you for loving us. We pray you feed your people and, and glorify your own name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Psalm 1, hear me. Psalm 4, verse 1, hear me when I call. I want to ask you why did David, why could David expect God to hear him? Why could David expect God to hear him? This morning, one of my children was not feeling very well. He, he went back to bed after breakfast. And then sometime around maybe 10.30 or so, I heard uh, from the boys' bedroom, And none of the neighbor ladies came running. Because that's not the voice of their child. Right. David said, hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Why did David, or why could David, expect God to hear him? And here's why. Because of the relationship that David describes that he has with God. He says, hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. If you read the book of Romans carefully, you'll figure out that the problem that we have is that we're not righteous in God's sight. But then there's another problem added to that, on top of that, another layer of problem. And that second layer of problem is this, only God can make us righteous. We have to be righteous in his sight to be acceptable with him, but he has to be the one to make us righteous. And thank God he provided that way to make us righteous. Look at Psalm 51. David wrote Psalm 4. David also wrote Psalm 51. 
I don't know when David wrote Psalm 4. It doesn't really tell us in the title of the psalm. We might guess, we might have conjecture as to when. We don't know when he wrote it, but we know this. We know when he wrote Psalm 51. It was after his great sins, his great sins. And Psalm 51 is his prayer of confession. It's an expression of repentance. Psalm 51, in verse 12, listen to what he said. Restore unto me the joy of what? Thy salvation. Sometimes people misquote that and say, restore to me the joy of my salvation. But it's not your salvation. It's his salvation. He gives to you. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. You are not saved by you. You're not upheld by you. You're saved and upheld by him. Right. Verse 14. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation. I just said it's not your salvation. Then he said it's my salvation. Why is that? Because God gave it to him. And my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. David understood that it has to be God that cleanses from sin. God that cleanses from guilt. God that makes him righteous. And we understand that too. Now we can say what, what, he, what David said in Psalm 4. Hear me when I call. Oh God of my righteousness, because just like David had that relationship with God, you and I that are saved have that relationship with God as well. Look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> Romans chapter 5 tells us that we have that relationship with him. Romans 5 verses 1 and 2. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our good works. <laughs> Some of you are looking too serious. Let's read that the way it's really written. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right. I'm listening to an audio book written by an English teacher who was living an alternative lifestyle and God saved her. God saved her. And she was given an opportunity to become a professor at a, in a Christian college. Um, and, and she was given the opportunity to give a testimony to the uh, student body. And she said, I didn't want to give a testimony because every testimony I heard was a testimony to the individuals, to the individual, not to Christ. She said everything, every testimony she had heard at that point had been something like this. Basically, good for me. I chose him. <laughs> and she said, that wasn't my testimony. <laughs> We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have a salvation testimony, it is not what you did, it's what he did. It's like my friend, missionary Ron White, used to say, I hope he's still alive, I don't know. But he used to say, he was in West Virginia, you know, so he talked with that accent. And he was a short man, so he had a short man's voice. <laughs> and, he, and, and he had white hair, so he had a white man's short, short white man's voice from West Virginia. And he said that, he would say, Back when God saved me, 
He never said when I got saved. He said when God saved me. It's a good lesson. Yeah. When God saved me. That's proper biblical terminology. Yeah. When God saved me. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this in verse 2. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We have access into, into this grace wherein we stand. Why? Through, but how? Through whom? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, David said, hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. A New Testament Christian, you and I can say, hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Right. In Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus. We often, you know, we pray, we, we end the prayer in Jesus' name. How about if we, how about if we approach God's throne this way? O Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to thee now. Because that's really where his name should go. Because we're not coming to him because I'm somebody, because you're somebody, but because he has given us access in his son. Amen. Uh, we, we like the words of that song. It's a good song. Nothing in my hands I bring. Only to thy cross I cling. I mean, we don't bring anything to the equation but our sin. We don't bring anything to this relationship but, but our sin. And he gives us his righteousness. And then, and then, not only does he give us his righteousness, but the Apostle Paul teaches us that, that he has made us his righteousness. Now, please don't ask me to explain that, because I can't. How can we who are sinful people be the righteousness of God in his sight? What the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross must have been something marvelous, something wonderful, something inexplicable. Something amazing to change us from enemies of God who had earned his anger and his wrath to the objects of his love and his grace and his kindness to even make us not only righteous, but righteousness itself in his sight. That's mind-boggling. That's something to, to carry home tonight and put verse 4 into practice. This, I keep popping this mic on. Let's try this. Let's just try this one. This one's not working, is it? It says on. I guess I'll use this. Look at verse 4. Psalm 4, verse 4. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed. And be still. You ever, you ever talk to yourself in your bed when you're all alone at night about the goodness of God? Commune with your own heart. Why did David, why could David expect God to hear him? Because God gave him righteousness. Because God was his righteousness. Now in Psalm 4 verse 1, he continues. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. When we think of enlargement, that does not mean God made him fat. Okay, That doesn't mean God turned him into the gospel blimp or anything like that. Or the Christian Michelin man, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> or the Pillsbury Doughboy, you know, nothing like that. That means that God gave him, God gave him, God advanced him, God promoted him, God strengthened him. In the broadest, simplest terms, God blessed him. 
God enlarged him. When did God, excuse me, when did David expect God to hear? When I call. When I call. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Now that might seem very obvious, but think about this. If David had not called upon God, could he hope for God to answer him? My little boy was calling from the bedroom this morning. I'm exaggerating the, the, the pitch a little bit, but but it was, you know, it was a high call calling from mommy and that's about the only pitch I can make right now for some reason for that call. Would mommy have come to his bedroom if he had not called? Do you see where I'm headed with this? When did David expect God to hear him? When he called upon God. Because if he hadn't called upon God, he couldn't expect God to answer him. Right. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? I really feel like doing like Pastor Flowers right now. Hello? I told Chris the other night, I need to get reading glasses just so I can do that. Hello? <laughs> when the Lord instructed the disciples in the, the disciples' prayer in Matthew chapter 6, he said this, When thou prayest, and he said, when ye pray. He did not say, if you pray. He said, when you pray. Right. Is there a difference there? There's a difference. The Lord doesn't, didn't say, you know, you know if, if you feel like it sometime, maybe you could pray. If you're a child of God, God expects you to do something regularly, and that is to call upon him. Call upon him regularly. Regularly. I admit, I've let it irritate me a little bit, but I realize it's not something to be irritated, but to give thanks for, to rejoice in, to glory in. If I go out of the house for more than 20 minutes in my car, when I come back, usually if I'm gone for a few hours, and I pull the car back in, I look in the mirror to make sure no one's you know, there in the driveway to see them, make sure I'm driving straight, backing it in, Put it in park, put down the parking brake, turn off the ignition. I look in the mirror, I'm looking for something. I'm expecting something to happen. I'm expecting someone to peek through the curtain on the front door, someone down here down low like this, and their eyes light up. I'm expecting to see the door open and expecting to see someone under four feet tall run out the door, down the steps and out to the driver's side and wait by the driver's side door and as soon as I open the door, to jump in and say, Daddy, Daddy! Now you can see why that could be a little bit irritating every time. But I've decided not to let it irritate me. It's not something to be irritated. It's something to be rejoicing in that someone wants to see me. I expect it. I've come to expect it. And I've come to enjoy it. I've come to rejoice in it. I've come to feel a sense of satisfaction in that. God does not want us occasionally to say, Father, 
He wants us regularly to delight in him. Like that little boy delights in his daddy when he comes. You know, I've got a little guy. Is he, he's not in here. He's in the other room tonight. He's probably listening. But that's okay. He and I had this little joke that we do. In fact, he did it today. I said to him, well, he, he likes to say, I love you a lot. I mean, every day. He says it several times. And a few weeks ago, I was outside working in the backyard. And he was just out there hanging around. And he'd say, Daddy. I love you. I said, I love you too. Keep working. I was taking it from the playhouse. Banging away. Sorry. Can you wave at me? Take off my earmuffs. Huh? Daddy. I love you. I love you too. <laughs> a few minutes later. <laughs> what? Daddy. I love you too. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> but that's not the joke. He means that. Yeah. And I mean it back. But here's the joke. Sometimes, at night usually, I'll hold to a face, I'll say, you know what? I'm so glad you're my son. And now it's, it's before I even get to finish it, you know. It used to be like this. I'm so glad you're my son, and I'm so glad I get to be your daddy. But he never lets me finish it anymore. Before I say, I'm so glad you're my son, he, he starts laughing and says, I'm so glad you're my son. I'm so glad I'm your daddy. And this afternoon, he did that to me. I said, you think that's funny? He said, yeah, that's my dad joke. My dad joke. Get it? Dad joke. So I guess to a uh, five-year-old, that's a dad joke. And I enjoy that fellowship, <laughs> even though it's kind of silly. I enjoy that. And don't you think our Heavenly Father enjoys when his children call upon him and look up in his face and say, Father, I love you. I know you've heard it before, Father, but I love you because you first loved me. And no joking. But we mean it. Joy. When you pray. In Psalm 4, verse 1, David said, Hear me when I call. And if you want God to hear you, you need to do something. You need to call. You need to call. You need to call. That young boy this morning calling for his mama. She wouldn't come if he hadn't called. Hear me when I call. There's another reason David could expect God to hear his call, and that's also found in verse 1. It was because God, well, look at verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 1 again, Psalm 4, verse 1. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me, and hear my prayer. Did you, did you see the other reason that David could expect God to hear his call? It's in the middle of the verse. I don't want to give it to you right away. I want you to look for it and find it yourself if you haven't seen it yet. When you see it, just wave at me. There's another reason David could expect that God would hear him. Hint, hint, again. Yes? Ah, 
English student here. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. God had heard David before. God had answered David before. And when David was in a bad situation, thou hast heard me, thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. And so David expected that God would answer him, first of all, because of the relationship that God and he had. God was his salvation. God was his righteousness. He expected God to hear the cry of his redeemed child. Also, he expected God to hear him because God had heard him before. And the longer you live as a Christian, and presumably the more you pray, the more you will have answers to prayer, and the more you will be encouraged to continue praying and expect God to take care of your needs. I think back 20 plus years ago to some prayer requests that I prayed, and I didn't think God would answer it. I had a slight glimmer of hope that maybe he would. And something surprising began happening. God began answering my prayers. <laughs> and I look at some of those things, I think those were actually not so big requests. And then I faced bigger situations and bigger requests. And, oh, would God, it's not so much can God anymore. I don't, I don't think I worry about can God anymore, but would God take, is this really important to God? I don't know. But he did it before. Right. Do it again. There are two reasons to trust that God can and will hear our call to him. And the first reason is who God is to us. He's the God of our righteousness. He's made us righteous in his sight through Jesus Christ, Romans 5. And we can expect him to answer and hear us because of what he has done for us, what he has done for us. And you can put the emphasis wherever you want in that sentence. What he has done for us, what he has done for us. And that reminds me to say that you have in that in that passage, in that thought there, the idea that there is scriptural truth that is unchanging, and then there is your personal experience as a Christian. You don't trust this one unless it lines up with this one. But when these two line up, oh, what a combination to strengthen your faith in God. Look at Psalm 13 for an example of that. Psalm 13, verses 5 and 6. Psalm 13, verses 5 and 6. But I have trusted in thy mercy. Now pause. David also wrote this psalm. It's evident as you read the psalms that David wrote that he loved the law of of God. He loved the first five books that he had. Genesis. How many of you kids know the first five books of the Old Testament? What are they called? Very good. Someone said Genesis, Exodus, Levititus. <laughs> Not this one, though. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's what David had, and he loved it. He loved it, and he lived by it. And he knew from what God had said about himself that he is the merciful God. 
Didn't God describe himself that way to Moses in the burning bush? The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious. I have trusted in thy mercy. That is, I have believed the truth that scripture proclaims about God. Doctrinal truth. I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. Again, basing on doctrinal truth. Now verse 6. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully. And there's that little verb there. H-A-T-H. Hath. Which means has. Because he hath dealt bountifully with me. In the past, God has been abundantly gracious to me. He's dealt bountifully with me. And so because I have his mercy, which I know, and his salvation, which I know from the word of God, the unchanging truth of scripture, and because I've seen it in the past, I will rejoice in him. I will sing unto him. Because I have no reason to doubt it. I have no reason to doubt the scripture. And I've seen him carry it out in my life. And I have no reason to doubt him. Now does that mean bad times will never come? Does that mean trouble never comes to a Christian? Does that mean it's always going to be, as my third grade teacher used to say, hunky-dory? Is it always going to be easy, rosy? Come back to Psalm 4, verse 1. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, put on the brakes. Why would David need to call upon the Lord? Why would he call out, hear me when I call? I hope I'm not overusing this simple illustration, but why did that boy call from his bedroom today? It wasn't because he was feeling fine. It was because his tummy hurt. And he needed mommy to come give him medicine or knock him out or something. <laughs> Hit him in the head with a sledgehammer and put him to sleep. No, that's never happened in my house. Maybe the two-year-old might have done that. Why did David even need to call upon the Lord? Here's why. There's a clue in verse number one. Thou hast enlarged me when I, <laughs> when I was in distress when I was in distress did I mention to you that last week when I preached last week that I began listening to an audiobook by a very famous so called pastor in Houston Texas whose first name is Joel <laughs> I began listening to his most famous book I thought you know I've been preaching against his book for years I need to listen to it or read it. I mean, I've read enough of it, snippets here and there, and I've heard enough of him preaching to know what the man believes, but I have to listen to the book. I got through 15 minutes of it and had to stop. I could not stomach it. Right. it you know, when I tried to read the Quran, I thought, you know what? The Quran doesn't have the same spirit as the Bible. Right. I read, I read portions of the Book of Mormon. It doesn't have the same spirit as the spirit of the Bible. I listen to Joel, that guy, and I realize he doesn't have the same spirit as the spirit in the Bible. Amen. 
There's no distress in that man's life. Yeah. His biggest problem was, I didn't think we could buy the house that Victoria thought we could buy, but she believed it, and so I, I just decided <laughs> to keep my mouth shut and let her speak her faith. <laughs> David is a realist. Yeah. When I was in distress, when I think of distress, I think of times like when I was driving Christian to the hospital, she was giving birth to Timothy. Timothy was breached. She was backwards. Upside down. Well, right side right up, right technically, side because you're supposed to be born upside down, you know, head first into the world. Well, he was just going to back his way up. And so it was taking a while. We're trying to get the guy to turn around. He would not turn around. He was stubborn, and he would not turn around. And couldn't help that. No reflection on his personality or character now whatsoever. That's just the way he was. But it was time. And we were rushing to the hospital in Jacksonville, Florida, in my mother-in-law's SUV. And Kristen was in the back seat, I think on the floorboard. I don't know. <laughs> I was blasted to the red lights. It was raining. It was dark. And she was back there saying, I can't. Thank What's that mean? What's that mean? I didn't, I, I, it took me years to figure out what she meant. I'm in distress. She was in distress. Yeah. I was too. Yeah. Pastor Agent Rogers used to say, did you know that childbirth is very traumatic for a father? <laughs> distress is just part of living. Because we live in a, in a sin-filled world. And David was a realist. And David faced some distress. He had a king hunting him down for years of his life. Had an army after him. Imagine that. One man and a whole army chasing him down for years. Don't you think that would get to you? Take off the D-I-S or the D-I at that word, you have stress. Don't you think David felt some stress? Yeah, right. His back was probably all out of whack, you know, because stress, they, chiropractors always tell me, are you, they, they feel my back, they, are you stressed? <laughs> are you stressed? I say, no, I'm not stressed. Oh yeah, I can feel the stress right there. Magic fingers, I can feel the stress. I can feel the stress right there. Okay, hold still. It's like Ernest Angley. You know, Ernest Angley on TV. Healed. Stress. Distress. David felt distress most of his life. And he said, that's when God heard him. That's when God enlarged him. And that's why he called upon the Lord. Why do you call upon the Lord? Now, there are two extremes to this. One extreme is that we, we only call upon God when we're in distress. That we wait until the really bad times or the really big problems come. And that's when we finally hit our knees and we say, oh, Lord, help me. The other extreme is that we, we, we make fun of calling upon God in distress. And David had the balance. 
He called upon the Lord in his distress, but he also called upon the Lord at other times of the day and regularly. So this wasn't this wasn't something like, uh-oh, I'm in a bad fix now. This and this and this and this option that fell, I better pray about it. I think David's first recourse was prayer. And whatever option he used, whatever means he used, he was praying throughout the whole thing and trusting God throughout the whole thing. Mr. Spurgeon said, you pray as you begin something for God. You pray as you're doing it. You pray when you're finishing it up. Just pray through the whole thing. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Now notice this. What? It, it, was, it was distress that caused David to call upon the Lord, right? None of us like distress. None of us like it when our wife is in the back seat giving birth and saying, I can't make it. None of us like it when the children have whooping cough. None of us like it when the baby has chicken pox. None of us like it when whatever, whatever, you fill it in. Fill it in. None of us like it when those distressing times come. But it was distress that was God's chosen tool to push David to pray, to move him to prayer. And distress can be God's chosen tool to reveal our own helplessness to us and our weakness and our dependence on him to us. And without the distress, we might never see it. We might never see how much we need God. We might never see how weak we are. We might never see how helpless we are. You know, we Americans, we have this, this problem, you know. I've got that dad shirt. Some of you have seen my dad shirt. I love my dad shirt. On this side, it's got two crossed rifles. It says, this will defend. On this arm here, it's got an American flag. And I love holding my arms like this because it's got those two symbols right there like that. <laughs> And sometimes we Americans, we take that overboard and we, we, you know, we think that's our strength right there. Our flag and our guns. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. I love our country. I love our country. And I love our guns. Um, but that's not our strength. Right. I know a very physically impressive man who recently was in an, uh, an accident. Five minutes before the accident, if you walk into a room, everybody pay attention just because of his bulk. And don't get me wrong, I'm not mocking him at all. I'm not making fun of him at all. I, I feel sorry for him. He was in an accident. He was messed up in the accident. He can't even walk into a room now. No one looks at him and says, who? You look at him now and you say, oh man, you okay? I mean, that's not even the question, are you okay? I mean, what, would you, what do you say? I don't know. I'm praying for you. Just like that. God can let things happen. God can cause things to happen. 
God can bring things to us. God can bring distress to us to cause us to look up and say, okay, I'm weak. And it's not until we realize and recognize our weakness that God can begin to use us and mold us and make us what he wants us to be. It may be tough to believe, but distressing situations, meaning when we feel that all hope is lost, when we're hanging at the end of our rope, when there's no light at the end of the tunnel, what other idioms can I use? <laughs> we might not like it, but those times of distress might be the best thing that we could go through. For God to work in us, to cause us to look up to him and say, hear me when I call. Hear me when I call. Distress leads us to cry out to God for mercy. Psalm 4, verse 1, again, Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. Have mercy upon me. In the middle of the verse again, he says, Thou hast enlarged me. Our faith confidence and our awe of God can be enlarged through times of distress when in the times of distress we do call upon God God doesn't put us into the times of distress so we can flex our mental or emotional or physical muscles and say I can get through this but in our hearts or even physically to bend our knees and say, oh God, hear me when I call. Thou hast enlarged me. When? When I was in distress. Now notice this. He did not say, thou hast enlarged me after my distress. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Distress, And did you know that sometimes your faith and my faith grow the most when we're in the middle of the distress? Now we love it when we get through it. But it's in that process of going through the distress of, of his leading us through that our faith is enlarged it's when we're in distress that we pull up closer to our shepherd that's when we realize that we need him none of us like the distress but when the distress comes the first reaction naturally is what? No, no, why me? No, 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 no. My kids have heard me say that. No, no, no. And it's usually something like, you know, a lemon rotting in the fruit corner for weeks and it's been buried by other fruit and it's, I go, oh, no, no, no. Ah, uh, why? Oh. Money is being wasted. And I don't like it all. 
And that's this small, little, tiny thing that means nothing to anybody but me when I see it. No, 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 no. But there's big things that come. There's big things coming we can say, no, 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 why, no, 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 no. Why now? Why me? No, no, no. The more you walk with God, the more you find out that when those times come, the response is not to say, why me or why? No, no, no. But to say, okay, I need you, Lord. I get drawn eye to God. And he will draw nigh to you. Amen. James 4, 8. That's our memory verse this year, isn't it? The church. And it's more than just a memory verse. It's true. <laughs> it's not just a line of beautiful poetry to memorize. It's truth. Get up close to God and he'll come close to you. We draw nigh to God and an amazing thing happens when he draws nigh to us. Psalm 4 verse 1 Hear me when I call O God of my righteousness. That is the child of God drawing nigh to him. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. That is God drawing nigh to his child. In verse 2, David talks about and talks to some people that are detracting from his faith. O ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing? The word leasing means lying. How long will ye seek after lying, after deceit? There are people that uh, don't understand our faith. And they want to criticize and, make, and take every opportunity they can to mock. Verse 3, but know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Ah, verse 1, hear me when I call. Verse 3, the Lord will hear. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Look at verse 3 again. But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. Listen, brothers and sisters. If you are godly, you're in Christ, you're living God's way, you're trying to walk with God, he has sanctified you, he has set you apart for himself. Yes, for your good, but even more importantly, for his glory. But both those things always go hand in hand. Verse 4, stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Be still, be still. I read this passage to my family this morning. I repeated those lines three times. And one of my boys said, why did you say be still, be still, be still? I said, because I wanted to emphasize it to you. <laughs> God wants us to be still sometimes. Just get still and listen and meditate. Listen to him and meditate on his word. Think about his word. Think about what he's done. Think about how he has worked in your life for you, through you, by you, in you. Verse 5, offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There be many that say, who will show us any good? Remember last week I said, the lady said to me, do you really think he's going to come back? 
And I, my thought, I thought, how could a Baptist say that? Do you really think he's going to come back? And there are Christians, there are Christians that think, is God going to show us any good? Is God really going to answer our prayers? It's easy to get cynical and let the, the, the filth of this world and the, the dirt of this world and the doubt of this world taint your thinking. And in your mind, project that onto God. Well, the rest of the world is unfaithful. He must be too. No, that's not the way it works. There will be many that say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance. Now watch up here. Countenance. This is a, this is a sad countenance here. Watch this, sad countenance. Angry countenance. Glad countenance. Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. I think what David was saying here was, Lord, there are people that say, there's no good that's going to come. Even God is not going to show us any good. Even God is not going to hear us when we pray. Lord, would you prove them wrong? Yeah. Lord, would you prove that you are good? Would you show that you are merciful? Would you show that you're gracious? Gracious? Would you please show these people what you are really like? Would you please clamp your hand over their mouth? <laughs> Verse 7, Thou hast put gladness in my heart. In my Bible, I circled the word put. I, I do believe that it is, the more I study this, that God wants us to guide our own hearts God wants us to guide our own emotions but the only one who can really put gladness in our heart is God himself right. I know I know it was made the statement was made by a man whose whose doctrine in in some ways was right on and in some ways was absolutely foundational to what the Roman Catholic Church became, Augustine. I know who he was. But he made a great statement. And some people misuse this statement, but I think it's a great statement in context. That God has created us with a space that only he can fill. Now that's not the gospel message. <laughs> That's not the plan of salvation. But it's a true statement. God has made us uh, with a hole in our soul that only he can fill. Right. Thou hast put gladness in my heart. And if you want to get true gladness, I mean gladness that gets you through those distressing times, why don't you call upon the Lord and ask him to put that gladness in your heart? David didn't say, I put the gladness in my heart. David didn't say, I worked it up. When I was in my late teens, I did a research. I spent a few months researching CCM. And I came out of that thing feeling dirty. <laughs> listening to bits and pieces of CCM, listening to the lyrics. I was really looking at the lyrics, but I remember one of those 
one of those uh, CCM, uh, they call them recording artists, which is a fancy word for a singer who records. But one of those guys get up there with the flashing strobe lights, you know, I was watching on TV or something. <laughs> he gets up there and he says, he's got, he's about to do his thing. The song was about to begin. And he held the mic up here and he said, pump up your faith. Pump up your faith. Pump up your faith. Okay, that's wrong on about 15 levels. <laughs> Pump up your faith. That's not biblical. Right. You get faith by pumping it up. What is that, a hot air balloon? What is that? <laughs> Took Kristen camping a couple weeks ago. We, I have an air mattress. It's for a one-person air mattress, and I have to blow it up. It takes 27 puffs to get that thing blown up, I found out. <laughs> And that was much better than the blankets that we brought. So I let her sleep on that one. I slept on the blankets in my sleeping bag. And in the morning, hers was flat. <laughs> it sprung a leak. Well, that's what happens when you pump up your faith. Yeah. It's going to go flat. <laughs> Don't pump up your faith. Faith cometh, it's not as exciting, it's not as exhilarating to think about, but faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Pump up your <laughs> with what? <laughs> Dear Lord, I need you to put gladness in my heart. I want to be glad. <laughs> and I'm going through this distress. Hear me when I call. Would you please put some gladness in me? Because I certainly can't put it there. This world certainly can't put it there. I watch the news and it doesn't put glad it takes the gladness out. It's like a it's like like drawing blood. <laughs> it just <laughs> pulls it out. I need you to put gladness in my heart. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. What does he mean? In an agricultural society, when the harvest is brought in, whether it's, now the word here is corn. We Americans think of corn, we think of what actually is called maize. But the word corn simply means grain. Okay? When their grain Increased when their wine their wine increased. Well, isn't that interesting? When does wine increase? We don't have time tonight, and I, I didn't prepare all the scriptures for this, but there is good biblical indication that when grapes are ripe, that is called wine, and it's in the fruit. It's not fermented. What he's talking about here is when the grapes are ready to be harvested. So when when the grapes are ready, when all the grain is ready to be harvested, and it's just it's just about to pop out of the seams, and we've got to go bring it in, and we are going to feast this fall, and we're going to survive through the winter. Yay! That's something to be happy about. We don't understand that. We go to Safeway. We go to almost said we go to Goodwill. I hope you don't get your groceries from Goodwill. We go to Foodland, we go to Times, we go to Costco. Someone asked me a few months ago, do you like Costco? I said, oh, I, I depend on Costco. Can't live without Costco. Go to Walmart, get your groceries from Walmart if you need to. And it's, everything is always in season. It's kind of a scary thought. <laughs> but in this time, no refrigeration. <laughs> when it comes in, 
you were happy if it was a good harvest. Right. And David said that the joy that God put in my heart, the gladness God put in my heart was more than in the time that their harvest came in. Their who? Who are they? The people who are saying, well, who's going to show us any good? Where is God? In other words, where is God? Does God answer prayer? Verse 8. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. The word both is important. There are two things going on. I will, watch this. I will both lay me down in peace and Kristen told me the other day, it was, uh, I woke up and, and, well, she was up, she's always up before me, almost always, she's up before me, usually because a baby cries and she has to get the baby. And I usually wake up with at least one child next to me in the bed. <clears throat> and a few days ago, I was kind of awake and I woke up and there was a three-year-old and I said something to him, he said something to me. And I closed my eyes. And a few seconds later, I opened it. And she says, you snored. She said, I don't know how you do that. You were awake and talking. You closed your eyes, you snored, and then you opened your eyes again. I said, really? Because, you know, a guy doesn't know he's snoring. We don't know it. I've heard 